Hey gang, welcome to Geeking Out, the podcast for collectors. I'm your host, Jeff French. I go by ETH Frenchie on Twitter. I'm the creator of the BPX Collective. And every week, we're going to bring you in-depth discussions with the industry's top experts, covering everything from sports cards to comics to TCGs and beyond. So sit back, relax, and join us as we geek out. And let's take your collection to the next level. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Geeking Out. I'm your host, Frenchy, Jeff French uh, from BPX Collective, and I've got my good friend Aaron Cordero here with me today. Aaron and I have known each other for a long time, uh, big in the physical, primarily sports cards, a little bit of dabbling in some other stuff. I actually met Aaron years and years ago over a Mike Trout deal, and uh, we became really good buddies after that and have been, uh, have been good friends, done a lot of card shows together, just a lot of stuff. Aaron has recently opened a card shop here in our hometown in Lexington, South Carolina. He has a card shop called Palmetto Cards, and just want to kind of jump in and uh, talk to you. Thanks for giving the time here today, to, to and thanks for letting me come into the shop with the podcast. Setup. We're actually in Palmetto Cards live coming to you from the uh, shop here today. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I appreciate you uh, having me on. We've been talking about it, so I'm super excited. I do think I got the better end of that trout deal because I want to say – I got two PSA nines from you, and I cracked one out and sent it to BGS, and it got a nine five. And I think I traded you a nine five. Yeah, I was really frustrated with those because I bought those as BGS nine fives that had each one had a nine subgrade somewhere, and submitted them multiple times to PSA because they were uh, nothing wrong with those cards, and I just could, they would not gem those cards, and that was before they had the fingerprinting, um, and so. They, they just wouldn't they wouldn't gym them and I finally just got frustrated and said screw it and moved them as a pair and then you went back to the BGS slab and that was while trout stuff was moving up pretty good and I bought those cards right before Christmas and cracked them and and, and I, knew, I think we did the deal right before the season started but I was a little frustrated with those cards yeah, by the that time was, that was just a fun one because I remember you you wanted the nine five and I was like hmm, I'll give it a try so uh, you know it was uh, worked out good well I never sent them into BGS. I only tried them at PSA. Okay. And Aaron uh, Mouton helped me with that. <laughs> Molten. Yeah, I know. Molten. <laughs> so let's maybe just start out and um, go, let's, let's go back first. So let's talk about how you got into collecting. So how long you've been a collector, how you got into the world of collecting, what drew you in? Well, like, like a lot of people our age, we were collecting as kids. My dad would take me to card shows up in Charlotte and drag me around and I have memories of, you know, getting to meet the greats, you know, whether it was Duke Snyder, Don Drysdale, Pete Rose, Jose Canseco, and just meeting all these guys at card shows back in the 80s. You met Jose during Pete oh, Jose? Oh, yeah, I met Jose during the Pete Jose. And my mom, I know she's probably not going to listen to this, but she thought that was the biggest heartthrob because she was thinking about all these men with, you know, chewing tobacco and all this stuff. And she comes in and she sees a young Jose in the, in the 80s with, you know, cannons for arms and and uh you know dark complexion and she said i didn't know baseball players looked like that you know yeah man he was a he was a dude he was a collector like he like i, I wanted that rated rated rookie of his so bad the petty stash and oh gosh it was like at the time i was in the seventh grade that that was a it was it was that card was running around in you know raw condition now it was getting close to being like a hundred dollar card there was no way i could buy one um but i wanted one so bad and uh i i have some of them now in PSA 10 grades stashed away because I just couldn't afford it when I was younger. But that, that card was – that was an epic card. And seeing – meeting him during his peak, that had to be 
that had to be really cool. So as a, as a kid, that was just like next level in that time. Right. Um, so what are, I know the answers to this, but maybe tell our listeners, like, what are some of your favorite things to collect? So what lanes do you, have you, have you historically primarily run in? Maybe what do you focus on? And then maybe what's some stuff on the periphery that you enjoy, but maybe aren't completely, it's not, not a huge part of your collection, but maybe stuff that you'd like that maybe on the periphery to kind of give us the whole breakdown there. Yeah. I mean, on a personal level, I really like vintage baseball. Like that, that's just where my heart's at. Like I love, you know, Jackie Robinson, I love Mickey Mantles. I think those cards, you know, that are rare, are they replaceable and are they relevant, right? Like those are the things that I, I they got to kind of check those boxes for me to not want to sell those and to keep them in my safe and not do anything with them. You know, whether it's, you know, Babe Ruth Gowdy's, Jackie Robinson, Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, the, the goats, right? The goats of the hobby. Those cards matter. Um, they're, they're always desirable. People want them, but then I always, you know, I'm kind of a, snob I think I've, I've showed you over time you know I don't always get caught up in the number grade I really try to look for high eye appeal cards um, I want them well centered I want want you know I don't want something that I'm when I'm looking at the card it doesn't you know it takes my eye to a certain place on it that bothers me yeah I know there have been some vintage cards that I think are just amazing and then you'll be like oh I don't like that because it's got a fish eye there and then once I see it I can't unsee it so like I, I don't I don't even ever want to show you my stuff because I don't want you to point out any of the flaws that I haven't seen yet but no, you definitely, you always, everything you have is in the, in the vintage stuff is all super, super clean stuff. Um, anything else like that you, I, I know that recently you started grabbing some video games. You and I both kind of geeked out on those a little bit. What's your thought on the video game space and, and all that as yeah, far as collecting? I think video games are super cool, right? I mean, when I think back to my childhood, those were things that, you know, we had a ton of fun playing. You know, I've got Tecmo Bowl, I've got Baseball Stars, um, I've got the first Madden, um, so those are they're relevant, and and to me they'll always be super cool. So we've had them in the shop. We brought we break them out every now and again. People come in, and they they kind of freak out when they see them because they're like, oh my god, you know, I remember that. And then when they they start asking a lot of questions, so I think there's still a lot of upward you know momentum for that category. They're they're they make amazing conversation pieces, right? It's like I have some some CIB versions that I'll keep out. They're not super expensive, and but seeing Mario in a in, in the slab, when when I show that to friends, I could I could break out a card that's worth a lot of money, and I could break out a Mario CIB that's worth a couple of grand maybe, and they're they they, they want to talk about that Mario game or or a lot of my buddies are in the sports, so the Maddens and the Tecmo Bowls and that sort of thing are also really popular. Yeah, everyone Double remembers the, the cheat codes and different things, and it just brings back you know great memories. I know Jacob's been on me. He wants me to, you know, maybe get the Pokemon game and put it in the shop, you know, for the Pokemon collectors that come in and, and uh, just again, nostalgia and uh, it's relevancy. Yeah. So you mentioned, you mentioned Jacob, so that may be a good segue there. So like, let's talk about the the hobby shop and uh, you know, Jacob, for those who don't know is, is your son and he kind of, or not kind of, he's manages the shop, runs it. Why did you decide to take that plunge? Cause that's something that I think a lot of kids is like, you think about, if you're really into cards, you go into a hobby shop as a kid and you see one, you're like, Oh, I want to run a hobby shop one day. I mean, it's like, it's up there in the cool factor careers, like things that, that a kid would dream about maybe doing one day. How did you decide to take that, that plunge here at this, this stage of life, this stage of the market? Yeah, I would tell you, Jeff, I mean, we talked about it as a family and I think, you know, for me, I was, I was at home one day and, you know, prior to opening up the shop, 
you know, we've, we've done the show circuit. We would attend a lot of shows, you know, buy, sell, trade. And then we ran a PSA submission group. Um, we still run that group. We needed more space for it. But we were doing that out of our home. Um, we had converted a room in the house, uh, and it was kind of taking over everything. And I'm sitting at home trying to run sales for my day-to-day job, and I got UPS backing down the driveway. I got FedEx backing down the driveway. Meredith is texting me going, hey, this guy wants to meet, you know, and drop off cards. And you, you just get to a point where you're like, I can't do business out of, out of my home. I don't know these people. I don't want them coming here. Um, just different things like that. So. Right. That ultimately said, hey, let's let's find a space. Um, we talked about it as a family. You know, Jacob was uh, actually working for you at the time um, and the Block Packs team, you know, you know, helping with drops, buying cars, doing a bunch of different things. And we talked about it, and it was a, you know, it was a tough decision for him. I said I never wanted to be in retail because I actually cut my teeth, you know, um, in my career at retail. Started working for Walmart, and I worked at Bass Pro Shops and done a bunch of different things. So I've done the retail grind. I understand what goes into it. But Jacob was kind of up for the challenge, and I wanted, you know, when the, with your family, you can trust, you know, right. um, collectible space. You go hiring people. You don't know who you can trust, and, you know, we have a lot of cool cards in here, and the last thing you want is to get a bad employee, and it can, it can just wreck you. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I was really fortunate and, and thankful to have things work out when we were launching BPX and specifically Block Packs and the products out of there. I was really uh, fortunate that Jacob was available and, and able to spend kind of that first year with us helping us shape the drops. And, you know, that knowledge was certainly valuable. Um, and now for those who don't know, my, my son, who's now graduated, he's out. He's actually helping build those drops now as Jacob's moved over into the store. So it's definitely a family affair on your side. And I understand that on my side and it's that, you know, that that the the pride that someone has in something like that is is you 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 really can't replicate that and it's in in having him in the shop, feeling that sense of pride and ownership and being able to manage it I'm sure and then not to mention the fact you just get to see your son more often which is which is cool I mean, yeah I, I, mean, I like being able to see mine that was also one of the things you know that really drove me in the hobby you know prior to opening up the shop you know when he was in high school and college you know we were going doing you know going on trips we would go to you know Chantilly and then we go hang out in D C and we would go to Dallas and go to card shows. It was just allowing us to do things as a family. And that was really my whole whole idea behind all this was, man, I can have this awesome hobby that I love, and it would fund some of these trips. And then it just blew up and turned into way more. And, you know, now we have a full-fledged business. Right. So, obviously, people walk in and they see – the cases and they see the TVs on the wall. And again, if you're, if you're hearing background noise, again, we're literally sitting in the middle of the shop. And so there's doors dinging and people moving around. I don't know how good these mics are to not pick up those sounds, but the shop's bustling. There's people in here uh, looking at stuff. What has been hard about opening the hobby shop? Like what are the things that you look at and you say, wow, that was a little harder than I thought it would be. Cause you have a lot of business experience. You have, like you said, you, you had a good idea what retail looked like, but what has been surprisingly difficult in opening a hobby shop? Yeah. I've said this, made this comment a few times, like they don't give you a, a, a how-to book for dummies or anything like that when you, when you open a business in this space. But for me, I think the biggest challenges were like, you know, working with the city. We had to work with the city on getting our sign and work with a sign company. And you got to get all these little approvals. And then you got to get set up, you know, with things like Clover. And you got to learn how to pay your taxes, you know, that are due every month. And just there, there's so many little things that you don't necessarily think about when you're, you know, when you just, you're thinking about, oh, I got to go get wax or I got to get display cases. Um, but then, yes, wax. You know, wax is a major challenge because you're a new business and you basically have to get your wax from a distributor 
or direct, direct from say Panini or Tops. Um, getting wax from either of those as a new business is not easy. We just started recently getting some allocations from one of the distributors. We don't have, alloc- you know, we're not set up direct yet with Tops or Panini. We hope in time that that'll happen. Um, we'll, we'll continue to work on that, but you got to build a relationship. I, you know, it's super challenging. A lot of product we bought early, we use through our networking with uh, the grading. There's a lot of people, you know, that are breakers, different things, uh, some hobby shops that we grade cards for them, and they've been gracious and supportive of us to share allocations and share product with us. So I think that's helped us, you know, move things along faster than if I didn't have those relationships, we would be, stro- we'd be in a different spot. So as you're looking at wax and you're thinking about the products that you're wanting to stock on the shelves, how do you, like, like you said, there is no book of that. Like we, we have a feel for what popular products are. You can see it, you can feel it, you know, when releases are things that have more buzz versus less buzz. But I would imagine part of what you have to factor in too is, you know, you've got inventory sitting on the shelf and you don't want that inventory to be worth less in three months than it is today. If you don't sell it in time, how are you picking and choosing the type of stuff you're doing to kind of have the variety that customers want while also managing your risk, which may play into the same thing that a lot of our listeners are thinking about with their own collections and anything that they may not be long on, maybe shorter, especially with wax. Like how do you, what lens do you put all that through? Yeah. You know, sports have always, or sports cards, I would say we've always had, you know, seasonality approach to it. You know, there's guys right now that are, they're, they're trying to buy football now because they're betting that, preseason hype, the market starts to climb. You know, we're seeing that a little bit with baseball right now. People are excited. Baseball's coming. You know, we, you know, guy, somebody texted me yesterday. Oh man, Ronnie Mauricio for the Mets. He's hit two home runs in two days. And, you know, so they're already running out looking for Ronnie Mauricio stuff betting. And I, of course, I'm like, Hey, is he going to make the Mets roster? I mean, where's he going to play? Right. You know, um, but you know, people like to buy into that hype. But when it comes to wax, I think wax is a game of speed. And, and I'm, I mean that serious. New product comes out, people come in, our, our customers, they want to see what's new. So we always try to get, anytime there's a new release, we're trying to get that product. And then it's a balancing act of how much can you take, right? Like top series one recently come out. We're trying to get as much of that as we can because we're still selling a lot of it today. Jumbos did better than regular hobby. Um, and, but then like you move to basketball. And then I think basketball struggled because, number one, you have, like, last year's product with Kate Cunningham. It's been a little bit delayed, and then he gets hurt. So now, all of a sudden, your top rookie's not playing, so you need other people to do things. And in general, I think, you know, like with the basketball market, it had the, you know, it, it, it pumped the hardest, in my opinion, and I think it had the furthest to fall. For sure. Yep. You know, and then, you know, look at football, and guys want to chase quarterbacks. And right now, um, you know, go look at, I hate to say it, but, you know, people were buying heavy on, like, Josh Allen – you know, they lose in the fashion that they lose. And now all of a sudden his stuff's like way down from what people were telling me. And, you know, so, you know, there's, there's definitely, there's always a fantasy aspect to card collecting. I think people like to hedge, whether it's baseball prospecting or people that want to bet on quarterbacks. You know, we got a lot of people coming in wanting to buy Trevor Lawrence because, you know, hey, he's a Clemson guy. We're here in South Carolina, so they're looking for Trevors. But I, I often remind them, hey, Trevor plays in the AFC. So who's he got to beat to be the next guy? He's got a, he's got several guys in front of him. He's got there's a couple of them because I still I still do think that um, you know you look at Josh Allen I, I still think he's a, a good player a great player and then you know you got you know you got Joey Joey Burrow up there and you know then you got Patty Mahomes you got it's just you know it's it's a it's a loaded division. it's a loaded division for sure that you got to get through so so overall I guess how how is it going like you open a shop in a bear market people are we got interest rates going up the the the, the broader markets everybody's 
freaking out. You're opening a hobby shop. You know, you opened it, I guess, right before Christmas. And so here we are some 90 days or so in. How's it going? I think things are going well. You know, I've talked to a couple other hobby shop owners that I know. We, you know, just kind of spitballed a little bit. Hey, how, you know, how's business for you? How are, you know, how much of this are you selling? And it definitely sounds like we are holding our own and we're doing really well compared to some other businesses that have been around for a few years. Um, you know, we're staying super aggressive, doing some things different. We just, the month of February, we did a big dig box promotion. People were like, dig boxes? Who, who cares about 10 cent cards? But well, you know, when you accumulate the way we accumulate buying collections, you know, we lined up the, the wall out there. We've had a had tables. I don't know. We had over a hundred thousand cards out there and we started it out like a duck, Dutch auction. First week, the cards were all a buck. After one week, we dropped them to 50 cent. Then the next week we dropped them to a quarter. And then now they're out there at 10 cents. I don't even know how many thousands, but I think Meredith and Jacob told me they've consolidated, you know, probably at least 10, three to five row boxes. So those are 3000 to 5,000 count boxes. So, I mean, it's crazy to think how many cards we move that way and a lot of it is stuff that I don't say you don't care about but you know for us to spend the time and energy to go through it it's just it's a daunting daunting task right no that's I that's every time I come in there's people in the dig boxes I mean it's a very popular it's a very popular thing so that's cool man I'm glad to see that we have a nice local hobby shop obviously glad to have one of my best friends doing it so I feel like a bit of an insider when I come in which is awesome so I, I love it let's maybe transition and talk a little bit more about the broader market and we'll stay we'll stay in sports cards because that is even though you you do you own some Pokemon you own a little bit of magic you got other stuff but but sports cards are really your your bread and butter what do you think of the state of the, the hobby as we transition now into this fanatics era, right? So you've got Michael Rubin and his group now owning tops and soon licenses. I don't think, I guess, I'm not sure when their first products come out that have the NBA and NFL, but they have all the licensing now. It's basically this big monopoly that has really for all intents and purposes, they have the big major three. So they, they have, they have the market. Um, how do you see the, the state of where things are overall? Well, car- cards run the test of time, in my opinion. So I think we, we have nothing but upward trajectory with cards. You know, companies like Fanatics, um, you look at even uh, Nat Turner and the group around Golden, PSA, and th- these companies don't make these investments if they, number one, don't see returns and, and huge growth opportunities. So I think that's where we're headed, right? Like, I think cards are cool again. I mean, I, that's what I tell people. They're all, it's amazing when I talk to my friends and they're like, man, don't, don't you, don't, aren't you into cards? And I'm like, yeah. And then we start having that conversation. But there was a time a couple of years ago, if I'd have told someone like, yeah, I've got some baseball cards, they were like, oh, well, that's cute. Right. No, it's definitely, you're, you're 100% right on that. And I, I heard an interesting quote from, uh, from Michael Rubin, and he said that to this point, I'm just going to paraphrase it because I can't say the exact, I don't remember the exact quote, but he said to this point, sports cards have been successful by accident. What do you think? Respond to that. Uh, I, I agree with that. I mean, when I think of this business as it correlates to other businesses that, that I'm involved in, you know, there's a lot of people that have had success by accident. Some, some of them just are kind of the right place at the right time. Um, but I would I would say that comment's right. Yeah, I think a lot of the big I think a lot of those companies over the years that I agree, I think they made money in spite of themselves, not because of themselves. They had the right licensing and they put the and the athletes and the the connection that everybody had to sport, the nostalgia, the fact that these things were you you go back to the to the TTO T206 cards, they've been around for 120 years. Um 
it's just it's it's it, it's got that ingrained niche audience. The the fifty two mantles, everybody wants one, and then that helps carry the new stuff. But there really has been, I agree with him. There hasn't been marketing of sports cards. And he said in that same, he went on to say in that same interview that he was going to do more this year to market sports cards than what has been done in the last, I can't remember if he said seven years, 10 years, whatever he may have said ever. I can't remember, but his point was nobody's been doing anything to market this. We now own it and we have it and we know how to do marketing and we're going to market the heck out of it. And I just, I saw something that was pretty cool. The, um, I sent you a, I sent it to you over text, the, they had a thing called the Tops House or something out at spring training and like just the little clips they saw, which I'm sure were heavily edited. You had the players coming in and they were signing the autographs in this kind of cool house with all this stuff for them to do. And I was like, dude, even if I'm Mike Trout, that's, I would want to go to that house. That's cool. And, um, and, and now the social media content they can shoot out of that is, is obviously really interesting. Maybe get the players to take a little bit more time and care in the autographs they put on the cards versus just a check mark, which was oh, some man. Some of the stuff has gotten so bad. Um, but no, I'm, I think it's real interesting to see what they can do and then how does that then translate to the stuff that we love, which is the older stuff, the lower supply stuff, the stuff that's already graded, because I think that becomes the way that a lot of that ends up happening. The more new, when we saw it, we saw it with COVID, right? We saw people come in for all that modern and then they found their way into this other stuff. Some of them have left because it was, you know, we definitely reached a bit of a fad status almost, but a lot of them have stuck around. So real interesting there. And I think that the, that what they're doing is cool. Yeah. I think nostalgia matters, Jeff. And, and I say that because, you know, yes, I, 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 I like Mickey Mantle, right. But I never saw Mickey Mantle play, but that was my dad's guy. Right. You know, my dad grew up in the, in, in New York, you know, as a kid, you know, uh, one of the, one of the cards I gave Jacob, right, was a Ken Griffey Jr. autograph card that used to sit in my desk at home. And I actually went out, found one on eBay at Christmas a couple years ago, and it was a like the highest graded one. And I think it was graded like a nine or something. And I gave it to Jacob. And you could tell it meant a lot to him. And I say nostalgia because he knew Ken Griffey Jr. was like my guy. Right. So, you know, Hopefully, at some point, Jacob identifies, like, who his guy is, which I, I think it's Debo Samuel. I don't think it's a baseball player <laughs> with what he collects. But, you know, and then one day maybe he has kids, and then that resonates. So you, you bring up the fact that stuff we like, I think the more kids get involved, the more their dads get involved, because that that's a thing in the shop. I see it every single day is dads bringing their, their, their sons in or moms bringing their sons in. We got a ton of women um, that come into the shop and they, they bring their kids in and we've got women collectors. And I think that's just super cool. Yeah. That's awesome. The more female voices we can get any, anytime you have a, a market, the more you can get diverse voices in it, the better. And, um, that's one of the things well, I ha- we had a lady come in it wasn't long after we, we were open. And of course, you know, it was right around Christmas time. And, and I said to her, I was like, Hey, are you looking, you looking for a gift? And she said, Oh no, I'm buying for me. And nice. I quickly learned right then and there, like, all right, which I didn't mean. I, I thought it was super cool. I, she wanted me to know real quick. She was buying for herself. She was ripping. Love it. Good segue there. So, because you, you, you talk about the nostalgia in cards and the importance of that, and I agree with you. So, let's talk about digital because I think I probably drug you in at first with with the block pack stuff to, to to bring you in on some digital. But like when you now hold blue chip NFTs, you're in Yuga, you're in Proof, you're in Lost Miners. I'm not calling Lost Miners a blue chip yet, but very historic collection. But you're 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 obviously very heavy in that. How does it feel to you? when you look at 
your Mickey Mantle, your highest, best Jordan, your best Jackie, uh, Jackie Robinson, and, and like versus a, a, a new digital type asset. Like, like how does that, how do you feel about the ownership of it? What do you see as the pros and cons of one versus the other? Like maybe just speak to that as a, as an old world physical collector making the move into digital. How is it all kind of connected the dots for you? Well, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that because, you know, I, I've put some money investing into NFTs um, because, number one, I just, I'm big into alternative investing. I think having, you know, assets in different classes, whether it's cards, whether it's real estate, whatever, whatever someone chooses, I think, I think diverse, diversity is good. But for me, you know, like it's really cool with cards to have that physical, I can hold it, I can touch it. I can whip it out at a party, you know, show my friends, and, and they're just like, oh, wow, they can hold it. They can take a picture with it. We, you know, we see people take pictures with cards in our shop all the time. With NFTs, it, it's different, but what I really like about NFTs is the fact that, you know, it's provable. You've got the blockchain. One thing with NFTs is they can't be altered. Right. Right? You know, we talk about cards, and unfortunately, um, we know cards, that happens with, with, with sports cards. Well, nobody can trim a CryptoPunk. Right. You know, uh, they can't do it. So, you know, you got that proof of ownership, which I think is really, really cool. And I think, you know, um, I've said this to you before. I'm, I'm not in the space nearly um, as well as you are, but we're in the, you know, top of the first or the bottom of the first inning of a, of a baseball game when it comes to, you know, the NFT space. I agree with that 100%. I think it's super early. And, uh, and I think that it's, you know, it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of junk out there, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of, I think people will look back on this era and the, the collectibles that will come out of this era will be the type of things that, that you see right now in Christie's and these auction houses, these, these things that are, that are where you could have had them so cheap. Like oh, you, for sure. And, and there's digital, we're, there are going to be things like that today. Yeah. So when, for me, as someone that was coming into the space, um, you know, I came in, I hate to say late, but you know, I came in when, when, uh, Proof passes were, you know, they, they weren't crazy, but then they shot up, right? CryptoPunks were expensive. So me coming in, it was like, let me get my feet wet. Let me figure it out. So I actually took kind of my, my Bowman Chrome approach to it a little bit. And I just said, you know, you know, I listened to different podcasts. You know, Gary Vee, love listening to that guy. Um, you know, and he, he always says, like, 99% of the stuff's going to go to zero. And I that made a lot of sense. And I thought, all right, well, if 99% of the stuff's going to go to zero, I need to prospect, so no different than I do maybe with Bowman Chrome, I, I kind of did some prospecting. So that's why I chose, you know, you know, Ke- uh, Kevin Rose and, and that project, right? And I looked at um, other, like Yuga, right? They're, they're doing so much in that space. And then, hey, I jumped, jumped in hard, yes, with Block Packs because obviously we're friends. But that, that appealed to me because of what it is. And then, you know, I'm into, I've got the miners. And, you know, I did a big trade on miners, you know, because I believe in rarity. You know, I look at baseball cards and I think about what matters. I look at crypto punks and go, golly, if these miners just continue to, to do well and we, that grows as a community, then why can't these one-of-ones be, you know, be worth a lot of money one day? Yeah, you shook some things up on that that trade. So for those that may not know, our Lost Miners collection, it is our legacy collection in the BPX Collective. Um, it is the last 
ever digital collectibles on Ethereum for the for its mining age. The first seven years of Ethereum used mining. So these you know high intensity computer processing uses a lot of electricity. It's it's if you've ever heard of Bitcoin mining, works the same way on Ethereum. And everything that was created on Ethereum up until September fifteenth was done via mining. So that's the mining age. The lost miners of the ether are the very final collection, the bookend of that first era of Ethereum. And uh, they have really cool uh, pixel art done by a award-winning fine artist. It's a collection that has really resonated well with the market and the market really enjoys it. We had, as part of the release, we actually gave, we, we, we secured the tokens and we actually gave them away for free. They were a free claim, much like the, the same way the CryptoPunks were back in the day. And the CryptoPunks now, the floor on those is around $100,000. You could have gotten those for free, back to the point. If you're in the right place at the right time, you're early, whatever. So the, the Lost Miners were free. And there was a time where you could have bought Lost Miners for, I think they started out like 20 bucks. You could have bought them like yeah, right got, after the I, claim. I think I bought a couple at .02 or .04. I don't know. It was early. Yeah, it was really cheap. Was really, and really, and really I don't. I haven't looked at it because I don't really floor watch, but I would assume the floor on them today is, yeah, I mean, it's up in the hundreds of, Five five hundred. I don't know where it's at. <laughs> I don't really. I don't. I don't. I don't floor watch our stuff. I can't. It would drive me crazy. Well, I don't um, really have any more floor miners. That's true. So one of the things that we did is we, as the company, we had a holdback of some of the miners so that we could have some inventory of the collection that we created for the future. And we did what's called a, a verifiable random on chain. Everybody got their claim passes. They got their token, but you didn't know which miner art you were going to get onto your token. We run that on chain. Again, a benefit of the blockchain, like when they collate product into wax cases, somebody's manually going around and putting the, the big cards, the autos and stuff in those. This all happens verifiable on chain. And by doing it verifiably random on chain, you got incredibly lucky and one of yours hit the wizard one of one. So he's a lost miner that looks like a wizard. If you know what, uh, I think, what's his name? Gandalf. Isn't that what they call him in the community? Yeah. And that's right. I'm not a big Lord of the Rings fan, but it, I think that's. I think that's Lord of the Rings. So he looks like Dumbledore or Gandalf, one of those guys. He's got a big wizard hat and he's got a staff and it's got the light on it. He's really cool looking. One of the more uh, popular one of ones. And you were lucky to hit that. And then the, the counterpoint to that is the witch. And she also has a staff, looks very similar, but obviously a, 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 a female character. That landed in our wallet with the holdbacks. And so we decided that we were going to take some of those really nice holdbacks that we hit that landed on our side and we were going to put them up for trade to the community. So we allowed the community to come and just swap a certain number of uh, any other miners. And so people would generally refer to them as floor miners, the ones that are the most common. So it'd be like swapping common cards for a rare parallel, basically, if you're only a card person. And so when that one went up, we set the initial, and, and the way it worked is a Dutch auction. So we set it, put the witch in, said, if anybody wants to trade for her, you can get her for 50 miners. And then every 15 minutes, it would go down one miner until someone eventually hit the transaction and took it. You hit the transaction literally as soon as it went live. You took her for the full 50. Today, 50 <laughs> miners, I don't know, did you think, just look on your the math? I think, uh, I think we're talking like a $30,000. Equivalent in floor value. <laughs> yeah. So, but now you have the witch and you have the wizard. So the floor, yeah. So floor right now, you just pulled it up as 0.34 and I really don't know where. It, so it's 569. So that times 50, right at 30 grand, I guess. A little under. And so talk us through that. Like what went into your decision-making process? Because the floors are more liquid, right? You can sell them easier if you wanted to. You chose to give up 50 of them for that witch. Take, take us through the thought process. What were you thinking? 
Yeah, so a couple things. Number one, um, you know, a lot of things I do in the hobby in the space, whether it's, you know, NFTs, cards, um, you know, my fiance Meredith, you know, we do things together. So she had the uh, wizard in her wallet. So oh, I it was her wallet. It was her wallet that actually hit the wizard. Okay. So I was like, all right, I want to pair these up. So I wanted the witch. And uh, so that was part of my thinking was I want to pair them up and they'd probably be a really cool pair. And it was just kind of like the witch and wizard, me and her kind of thing, Bonnie That's Clyde, dope. however you want to call That's it. dope for sure. And uh, so, you know, so it, it may have meant more to me than others. Um, but at the same time, I go back to cards, Jeff, and I think about rarity. Rarity matters. I mean, yeah, people love to talk about fl- the floor. Um, I didn't, I didn't jump into this project to flip something overnight. Like I'm playing the long game, right? You know, you and I talked about it. Like I got crushed on Moonbirds. I'm still sitting on Moonbirds, but I don't know, man. Ke- Kevin Rose is a smart guy. Like part of me thinks he's got to figure this out, you know. And again, I didn't buy him to sell him in six months. I bought him thinking, you know, I hope 20 years from now this stuff's really, really meaningful. Right. No, that that that's great. And I think, um, yeah. So it's a, uh, it's 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 kind of the choice, just like anything else, right? In in when in sports cards, if you go after a one of one superfractor, that's an illiquid card. Like there's a very small subset of people, even if it's a cheap card, it's still illiquid because the people that would buy a, a lesser super at call it a couple grand, they're afraid of that card because they don't, the people are afraid of illiquidity. Um, but when you look at the grand slam home runs, well, just go look at Mickey Mantles. It's the best on the planet yeah, that hit the, the grand that hit the ground slam we, home we, runs. I, I mean, I, I go back to Mantles because you know we saw the PSA nine sell a couple years ago. I, I don't. I'm probably going to butcher this. It was about three, three or million. four million bucks or something. And then we just had a nine five that sold from SGC and twelve million, right? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, so rarity matters. I mean, I, you know, there are some PSA tens, and God knows if one of those ever come up to auction, what they'll do. So, um, you know, well, like Ken said that there was, I don't want to misquote it, but I, I feel like he said there was a private offer submitted at 30 and this turn was turned heard, down. I've heard some of that. I've I heard, heard it from him. I think okay. he was the one that took the offer to it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've heard people say if one went up, they thought it might sell in that 30 to $50 million range. And that's just crazy to think. But again, it's, you're talking about something so iconic and the highest grade. So like that, that wouldn't shock me. Right. Yeah. No, that's, uh, it's, it's it's really when you again when you think about kind of trying to get something that is the best on the planet there and there's also a strong I feel like emotional connection with those things like it's like for me some of the stuff that's the most illiquid doesn't really matter to me in my collection as much because it's the last stuff I want to sell anyway like I got tons of other stuff that I would want to sell before I want to sell that that thing that is more illiquid and I don't know you probably don't follow this um if, if sorry if I insult you if you do follow it, but um, right now in the Board Ape Yacht Club by Yuga, those are being traded because of there's a new a new um, NFT uh, marketplace called Blur, which I, I think you're familiar with Blur, and on Blur they actually have a token that is being farmed by putting in bids and then the amount of volume you do selling. So there's a lot of wash trading between probably only a fairly like like literally like a hundred wallets doing the lion's share of that volume and what has happened is it's really turned the board ape yacht club floor into basically an altcoin and you're seeing some mid-rare apes that a year ago would have commanded a premium right now are just being wash traded back and forth because people are trying to get and farm that token um I'll be glad when that token is done and it's done its thing so these things can kind of come back because I, I have my, my apes are I've, I chose some really nice aesthetics. I have one that I think is a top 
I, I'll say it. I think it's a top five ape in the collection aesthetically. And being someone who made that choice, I kind of hate to see it relegated to that. But I, I agree with you that I think rarity matters in NFTs and stuff where that's where everything's a one of one, like in a collection like the Bored Apes or the Codas or the Moonbirds. I think aesthetic will matter long term. And I think right now there are times and places where we see weird things happen because the, the space is so young still. But I think long term having rarity, having better aesthetics, I do think that those things uh, will, will ultimately matter um, a lot. And in, your, and in your case with the witch, I happen to think that it's, it's the combination of both. It's the aesthetic and the rarity. You get, you get the I need both. To, I need to do that deal where you send your NFT in, they modernize it and show you kind of what it would look like as a person or whatever. I need to do that with those two. And, uh, oh, the, the AI stuff. Yeah, well, yeah you should it, definitely. Like, we, we just had that AI contest run, and there's some crazy stuff that yeah, came out Yeah, I'd be curious to see what... Uh, well, you can't just drop that in there and it do it. Like, you have to know what you're doing. Okay. But somebody, if you if you ping somebody in Discord that's good at it, they can, and, and tell them you'd like them to give it a shot. Because you have to have the right, you have to you have to give the, I'm not good at it either. I actually have a thing I turned into a meme. I, I've, I've sent it to you where I've like, you'll send me something about a card. When I reply with that really crazy looking thing that's got the glasses, yeah. and I says, I see no problem here. Yeah. That was my 3D <laughs> attempt to turn my, or my AI attempt of turning my avatar into AI. It looks re ridiculous and like and I literally turned it into the I see no problem here meme it's so bad but there are people like you have to have the you have to get the seed right of what you tell the how you tell the the AI to to to, to do it and, and I'm terrible at it I haven't had time to really invest but some people are amazing but yeah you should definitely do that so um anything exciting happening in the world of uh collectible or uh, like right, let's let's stay in the lane of sports what do you see let's talk next 60 days, like what's going to be some drivers driving the, the short term in the hobby? Let's, let's get away from our long-term focus for a minute. What do, what do you uh, see short baseball. term? Baseball. I mean, like baseball season's here, and uh, here in South Carolina, baseball's huge, obviously. A ton of Braves fans, but just baseball in general. Um, WBC this year. We got the WBC. Um, super excited to, to, to watch those guys compete. Uh, these guys had to get ready a little earlier this year. So, you know, hopefully uh, no injuries or anything like that. I saw, I saw today, you know, uh, Gavin Lux shortstop for the for the Dodgers. He said he's out for the year towards ACL. Um, I mean, injuries just, they stink, man. Um, saw LaMelo ball. I think he uh, fractured his ankle last yeah, night or something. So. so, you know, that's just, unfortunately, injuries are part of sports, um, you know, and, and they have an impact on, on the hobby. Um, you know, that's why I tell people, you know, also buy what you like, collect what you like, um, you know, make sure you're getting into things for the right reasons. We have that conversation a lot now because um, people come in, they they see some of the cards we have in the cases. They ask a lot of questions and, you know, they see the 2016 Bowman Chrome box that we have for sale. But we do that to tell the story. Right. We want people to see that we've got the current Bowman Chrome on the shelf for 300 bucks. And then you've got the, the old Bowman Chrome because I want them to know, hey, you can buy you can buy this Bowman Chrome and you Don't can rip it, it and yeah. you or you can buy it and you can sit on it. You know, um, you kind of bet on the class. Um, I've got cases of it, you know, um, stashed away because, you know, I'm a Bowman Chrome guy. I enjoy that product. That's probably one of the things I do like to collect in the modern age. I like to prospect a little bit. I'm, you know, I'm a fantasy sports nerd, uh, geek, whatever you want to want to call it. Um, but yeah, we, I think baseball coming. Um, obviously, um, you know, golf. Some big golf tournaments are right around the corner. Um, you got, you know, as we get into closer towards summer, the NBA playoffs. So I'm hoping basketball starts to pick up a little bit more. I think uh, someone sent me an eBay listing um, for their Kevin Durant uh, that they won on block packs, actually, and they had redeemed nice. it. And they, they asked me about selling it. So um, I hooked them up with um, an eBay auctioneer, and they sent the card. And, 
he was pretty pumped about how well it was doing. You know, I was in Phoenix. I saw um, – actually went to the game. I was hoping Durant would play his first game Friday night, and I didn't – uh, he didn't didn't suit up, but you know that was cool to be there. They're sold out. Um, again, there's a lot happening. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited about baseball. Baseball is one of the markets. Never financial advice. We don't really put that disclaimer on our on our what we're doing here because we're clearly talking about collectibles and stuff. These aren't these clearly aren't investments from that standpoint. But I'm I'm real bullish on where the market is overall for baseball. I think we like to your point. I think basketball had big run up. Baseball didn't run up as much. Baseball had the more mature market already. And I, I feel like I've been – I've personally been buying a lot of baseball. I feel real good about it. And I've – a lot of people probably know I, I, I PC Tiger. Really excited to see him back on the course. And to your point, Masters coming up. I can't wait to, to see him. I'm probably going to actually take my son down. We're going to go see Masters live this year to catch Tiger. I've, I've seen him a number of times out there, but my son's never actually the been. The Masters thing just stuck to me because as we're sitting here, we were – I was looking – Meredith showed us uh, someone sent like, I don't know, 20 years worth of Masters. Yeah, stuff. In what was there. the first question I asked? You got Tigers first <laughs> yeah, in there. She's in like, there. "What year?" Like '97. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but so. I've got several of those. Yeah, it's just yeah, I'm um, really excited about kind of where a lot of that stuff is 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 on the market. We've actually got a uh, funny story for baseball starting up. I was actually at a baseball game this weekend. Uh, the Gamecocks were off to a great start. Our our team here, and and barefoot. One of the things we're doing is we're landing an apparel line, which you're well aware of. And we had to cut some commercials and that sort of thing. So we needed models to model the, the, the stuff. So we actually went and did NIL under the new NIL deals. So our, our ecosystem in BPX Collective, we did an NIL deal with a few of the baseball players, one of which, knock on wood, barring anything totally unforeseen, he will be first-round draft pick, Will Sanders. And uh, he's one of our barefoot athletes. And then we've got some other guys in there. Uh, Evan Stone is lockdown center fielder that's got a really high high floor from his, if, if, if he, you know, does what we hope he's going to do at the plate. He's definitely got a uh, a lot of upside. And then we had, we had uh, Noah Hall in there, who's an, another pitcher. And then we had some uh, we, had, we we balanced that out with some volleyball players, so some from the beach and, and volleyball team. So really cool to 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 have those folks, even though we haven't rolled that out yet to the community. So they really haven't seen that yet. But I know that they're kind of now on our team, and so I was like pulling for their sports and stuff has been. Really fun. So I've been really excited about baseball from that well, let, standpoint. Let's uh, let's try to figure out how to get him in the shop. I'll throw some nil at him if there's a way to way to do that. I mean, I think um, Will's got he got Scott Boris as his agent. Oh wow! I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know if well, I, I don't think I don't think. Oh, I don't think Boris. That's what Cooper's laughing. Cooper's like the barefoot deal is gone because he's got Boris. I'm like, well, it's done now. We got him. He's on. The, he's in the commercials. Oh, wow. So. wow. Well, we're working on some stuff too. I mean, I've had some conversations about having some other athletes. Um, you know, in the in the in the shop, uh, maybe signing some autographs, doing some things. So we might have some cool announcements there. But, you know, not to go too far off tangent, I just – I think NIL is important. Fans need to embrace it. You know, uh, if, if you want to see – It's here. Your, you can't fight it now. Yeah, I mean, it like is it's what it here. Is. If you want to see your – if you're a baseball guy and you want to see your Gamecocks do well, then and they're getting – you know, you got companies that are helping them out. Support those companies because they're gonna, you know, they're gonna help fund the NIL piece of it. Yeah, there's certain things you can, you can sit back and you can shake and yell and say, "Get off my lawn!" All you want, but it's here. The courts have ruled on it, and um, I, I do think it's intellectually hard to look at it and and not see it as fair. You're you're talented at something. The NCAA should not be able to tell you that you can't monetize that. And I know some people that maybe you're listening to us may say, "You know, you're it's ruining my." my 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 college football experience and it's and it, I get that but if you really look at it spirit of fairness for who those kids are and the fact that they have that talent and think about think about like guys like Marcus Lattimore that came through Carolina he didn't get anything 
And he, he got hurt really and destroyed bad. both of his knees playing for us at the Gamecocks. And yeah, he got his degree. But when you come to college, man, to play at a big school, you're there to play your sport. Like that is your job. And um, in your degree, people can it's secondary because like those guys, the amount of demands on their time and that sort of thing, it's 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 a full time job. No, it is. So just kind of wrapping up. Uh, really want to go in here. I'm going to go in here and shop. I might rip something before I leave, but excited to be here, geeking out with you. I really appreciate you uh, letting me come in, set everything up, and taking time out of your day to to do this with me. And if anybody is uh, needs to submit some cards for grading, I know that's a big thing that you don't you get a lot walk in, but you also take a lot of business mail in for that. How can they find information? Yeah, about for that? sure. You can go to our website, palmettocards.com. We've got a sheet on there you can download. Um, it's got all the information on pricing, how, how to send it in, everything, uh, whatever you need. If you're in the Block Packs community, you can hit me up. Um, it, um, my Block Packs user ID is at Aaron, and uh, Meredith is at Queen B, I think. Um, and uh, I'm sure Jacob's still in there. I think he was like at MVP, MVP, MVP or something. Yeah, yep. MVP803. You could always hit, hit him up if you're, if you're in the BPX world. Um, or, like I said, go to the website all of our social, follow us on whatnot. We're doing a lot of fun stuff there too. That's cool. What What's the benefit of sending the cards into you? I know this, but like, why, why would somebody want to submit to you versus just dealing with PSA themselves? Yeah, so I tell people all the time, hey, you, you know, you can certainly send cards in yourself, but what's really good about letting us do it is, um, you know, I, number one, we're insured. Like, I think that's important. Most people don't really think about that, but we send a lot of expensive packages. And yes, we've had two packages through the years get get lost. They're MIA. And we were able to file insurance claims with our insurance company and pay those out. I mean, I stroked over $20,000 in check on one package, right? And, uh, but that was, that's the importance of it, right? So you do that. So you use reputable people. Um, they'll take care of your cards. You know, um, you know, we, we try to treat everyone's cards if they're, if they were ours. So right. I think that's huge. And a lot of people are intimidated by the process, just all the little things you got to do. It's a pain in the neck. <laughs> it, 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 re- it really is. And I tell people like Meredith grew up military family, school teacher. She's super OCD. So like all her paperwork, she's old school with her binders and everything. So she's, she gets everything right. Um, you know, so you just, you know, dealing with reputable people. That's, that's important. Um, so that's a big point. If they have cards they want to submit, they just send them in and you handle everything. We do it. Yeah. We make it easy for them. And, and, you know, I, I actually uh, need to cut a video on this and put it like on our social. I, I was joking with one of the guys that helps us out in the store. His name's Matt. He's got this big, long beard. Matt's a great guy. But uh, I told him, I said, I'm going to get you to cut a video of like sending your card to PSA and you're going to walk in with your big beard and, you know, and your sweatpants and your, and your Smurf shirt. And then you're going to come back in and, and we're going to cut the second part of the video. You're going to walk in with a, with a suit on, you're going to be shaved and all this <laughs> other stuff because it's kind of like your cards are going on a job interview. And I try to get people to understand that, you know, I mean, the job of those graders, man, I think about the cards, they got to sit there. They're and human beings. At. Yeah. I mean, so we try to send everything to them in card savers and fresh penny sleeves and, you know, we can review your cards, you know, for a fee. So they're just little things like that, I think, goes a long way, sure. right? Um, and I think people take that for granted in, in card grading. And we know the difference between, you know, an 8 and a 9 or a 9 and a 10 is uh, can be some real money. And it's, and it's often a very minuscule, subjective difference. And it's so important now, you only get that one chance, that first impression with the new fingerprinting that That's they right. have. Because once they right. fingerprint your card, you, you can send it back in a million times and you're not getting, a, you're not, the grade's not going to change now. Well, and, and, and you're right, Jeff, and so many people you know, are grading stuff that's serialized. So yeah, between that and the, and obviously they're, they take photos of all that stuff now. So it's, you know, you're not just cracking them out and sending them back in. You may send it to another grading company. Right. 
but you know, I tell people, hey, you're you're getting one shot with PSA, um, right. you know. So that, that's yeah, put that best foot forward for sure. Right. So yeah, I I definitely would not personally uh, consider uh, grading cards without sending them over here. But uh, I, I may be biased, but I would encourage everyone to look into that service if you have cards you want to get. Well, even graded. if you, even if you don't send them to us, you know, there's other reputable guys out there. You know, find somebody. If you have a good experience with them, you know, um, I like to think people have a good experience. And that's why we built a nice little business. Um, so, you know, send, send them, send them our way. We'll, we'll get you taken care of. That's but do you, sure. you got to hit on, you hit on the reputable part because they, we just had a massive scandal in the hobby less than a year ago from a we grader did. that wrecked a ton of people. You got to know who you're sending your cards to. <laughs> we did, and, and we don't, we don't take money up front. There's plenty of people that they charge up front. Um, you know, so we, we charge people when the cards come back, um, you know, because, again, I don't – I just don't want people to have doubt, right? I don't want them to go, well, he's charging us up front, you know, and that other guy did that, and look what happened there. So I just – I don't want any of that smoke. I just want to stay clear of it. You know, we, we do business. All we want, we want to grade your cards. We want you to have a great experience. If you want to sell them, you know, we, we might buy them from you, or if you want to keep them, then, then great, keep them. Um, you know, we do all that stuff. I got a few crypto punks that need to be graded. Think PSA will take a look at them for me? <laughs> <laughs> all right man i appreciate you uh giving us the time here to come in the shop we'll shut it down with that that's a wrap thank you for listening to another episode of geeking out the podcast for collectors if you enjoyed this episode please hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on all things related to collecting remember new episodes are coming every week so until next time keep geeking out <laughs>